Hello and welcome to the Not A Game podcast, episode 5. I'm Tom Hatfield and with me I've got Cara Allison. Hello. Philip War. Hello. Uh, following in for Craig Lager this week, Ben Barrett. Hi. Ben. Hi. I'm going to steal a question from Chris Livingston over Twitter to start this off. With EA giving like, refunds on digital games recently, if you could uh, get a refund on any, uh, on any digital game, or any PC game I guess, since you can't really get refunds on any of them, which one would it be? Spelunky. What? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> just, I, uh, I don't know how to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I just... I, <laughs> I just, like, okay, so uh, when when it came out on PC, this whole, like, Spelunky uh, Explorers thing started happening, and I was like, all right, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't so much want in on it, but I wanted to see what the big deal was, so I bought it, and I was expecting it to be like either like N or like Super Meat Boy or one of those games because that's what the kind of people that were into it were into. Um, and then it was less fun and harder than those and then I stopped playing it. Okay, so I, I basically pl- never ever play 2D platformers because I'm terrible at them and I, I would probably hate Super Meat Boy. But I still play for Splunky so I'm not really sure what the... I, what would you say there's a big difference? I don't know because I, I really... Spelunky is just for me, um, like a multiplayer where I like basically shove people off stuff and like hit them and like annoy them and like make the I I all just hit them towards that you know that dude who has to shop and then he just murders everyone. <laughs> Essentially, that's what I do is I just get so there. So discover today is never play co-op games with Kara. Yeah, yeah, no, everyone knows that though. Like people <laughs> will spend like hours and hours and hours creating something in a multiplayer thing, and then Kara will come along and just fuck it all up. Uh, that's my Role. You just yourself in the third person there, as if it's your deep psychological problem that's destroying it. I feel like it's like reported, you know, it's like a reported thing is that everyone's like, oh, Kara came along and just fucked it all up. Like, I can hear people in my head saying that because that's what I do. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. I mean, you, you must have played Dota with me. I have, yeah. Oh, God. All I do is just. <laughs> I'm just really stupid <laughs> in that game. Like, not stupid, silly, because, like, um, I hate the word stupid. Uh, but, yeah, silly, because it's just, like, essentially wrecking other people's concentration or not put, deliberately forgetting to put wards down. Oh, my God. Forgetting to buy the wards. How have you put of hours into the most competitive team-based game ever? I know, it's really funny, and then everyone's like, oh, who hasn't placed the wards? And I'm like, it was me. So you know as well, Kara is running a workshop teaching people how to play Dota 2. So um, there's <laughs> going to be a new generation of trolls. Uh, yeah, it's going to be the best thing. The, the best thing about the tournament is it's like two to a two to a ta- to a, a computer. So one mm. person's going to be controlling the spells, and like the other person's going to be like controlling where they go. And like who they click on. It's the mouse. That's so, the yeah. maximum potential level of trolling for you, isn't it? But that's yeah, so be basically the worst thing in the world. The whole thing is just gonna be massive chaos. I hope it goes spectacularly awfully because it would be really funny. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Alright, what about you, Car? Please ask me the question again. <laughs> um, if you could get a refund on a piece uh, on any game, um <laughs> Uh, I guess, uh, what's the game that you've most regretted spending money on? <laughs> well, the thing is, I, I have recently carved out a career playing some of the worst games. If you were forced to review a terrible game for review, that probably doesn't count. 
I know. I feel, though, like I should mention that yesterday after talking to um, lovely Eurogamer man um, Tom Bramwell that I drunkenly said that um, I was very emotional about the fact that Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness was extremely shit um, (laughs) at the time that I played it because I paid quite a lot of money for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, and so I mentioned this to him and how emotional I got about it and how terrible the mechanics in it were. Um, and uh, and he said, please, can you do a retrospective for your game? <laughs> oh, so, so essentially, I am now retreading the steps that I, I journeyed to, uh, I think, like, what it, it was like, it was like eight, 17 years old or something like that, where I was so dismayed with this game and now I have to re-torture myself. I, I'm not really a Tomb Raider aficionado. Why is Angel of Darkness so terrible? If... It's just awful. Well, imagine the things that you find awful about Tomb Raider and then imagine that they'd been exacerbate, no, exaggerated by quite a bit. I mean, that's really what, that's really what was wrong with with Angel of Darkness, which was that you it's hard to traverse environments. It's just actively difficult. Isn't that like all you do in that game? Yes. <laughs> fighting which has never been very good. Yeah, and the fighting is unsatisfying and it was really buggy as well. Like you could save in the middle of falling to your death. You'd Great. the camera would like start back up again sometimes after a save as well, where it'd be inside of her head. <laughs> and you could see the back of her eyeballs, which is ac- oh, actually existentially terrifying. <laughs> like it was really scary. It was like take you inside the character's head, yeah, make you feel emotional. Is this game made by David Cage? Exactly, exactly. It was a David Cage uh, horrific nightmare of a game, and um, <laughs> and essentially, um, I mean, not that I don't like David Cage's games, but I do quite like it still. <laughs> If David Cage is listening, I like your games. They're just sometimes <laughs> a bit silly. Oh, he's a regular subscriber. I, I think he is. But um, essentially, uh, yeah, so I paid yesterday, I paid five, no, four ninety nine, five pounds, which have, could, could have bought me dinner. Uh, I paid five pounds for a fucking awful game that I hated the first time round when I bought it. It's like if it's, someone told you to buy Riptide. I know, I mean... <laughs> Tom will probably reimburse me, and if he doesn't, I'll come to his house. Pip, what game would you like to refund? Well, this is the thing. Um, I would actually quite like to get a refund somehow, or some kind of compensation for um, Dead Island Riptide being on my machine in any capacity whatsoever. Yes, I got it free because Kara needed to review it and wanted to try out the multiplayer shenanigans so she infested the like with my vile offspring of Dead Island. I infested her. Yeah. Just oh and the the single best thing about that game actually was the fact that when you do uh try and access the multiplayer, um which is the entire reason that I had it. It asks you in like I think big red letters. Are you sure you want to play with these people? Is <laughs> <laughs> it judgmental about your friends? Yeah. It's like a... <laughs> it's basically, it was me and Tom. Uh... It's like overprotective dad of the. <laughs> yeah, it was me, me and Tom and Pip, and Pip was just like always commenting on how cute someone's backpack was, and yeah. Tom was always commenting on like where the hell is my meat tenderizer? I've dropped yeah. my meat tenderizer. 
<laughs> oh god so yeah no it was quite a it was yeah it was an unusual uh, situation we were in because uh, tom quite liked the game and forgave it for a lot of its really shitty parts this tom tom uh tom felix i know, you know but... what though what i think the problem with that game is is that it's it's all about the shitty marketing that they did around it like mm. i can you know, I could have just sat there and like switched my brain off and enjoyed the whole I'm going to wail in on some zombies and like look at the backpacks and you know, me and Tom, whenever we play multiplayer stuff, it's always, you know oh my god, I can't believe you just shot me you know, what the hell's going yeah. on and then it kind of like gradually disintegrates into us trying to kill each other but also yeah. trying to somehow win the game but like because it kind of came on the back of this you know, the dismembered lady torso in the sexy bikini it was just mm. like I don't it's, have it's to tasteful. even try to like this, and I feel yeah. you know like I'm glad I wasn't reviewing it because obviously then you have to engage critical faculties. But I did feel like I could just sit there and be like, no, no, I am like, not yeah. okay with this game. I don't have to like it. I don't have well, to even give it the time of day. It was yeah. just it was kind of ridiculous and dumb, and those bits of it were fun, but it's. I think that says a lot more about the fact that we have a nice group of friends for playing games with it, you know, online. Yeah. I mean, you really need a game that's going to enhance how you relate to each other. I feel mm. like Dota 2 tends to create a really interesting team dynamic and team roles, whereas... Not the way you play it. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, ru- I ruin, I'm, I'm a life ruiner. I ruin lives. Um, but yeah, like, I, I honestly, I... I, I feel like unless you're you've got an interesting way to play together, like for example, Wildstar has interesting things. But it's like the, the MMO Wildstar. I don't think it's out yet, but um, like it's this uh, MMO which creates a different way for teams to relate to each other by giving them individual like benefits. So like one person will be able to like is an explorer, so can find lots of really like interesting secret passages through stuff. Like that's their skill. And then someone else will be able to just you you know fulfill like this sort of soldier role, and they'll get different benefits for the team that way. Um, and there's lots of different roles that you can fulfill. So um, I say a game I always felt felt did um really did that really well was um the last couple of Battlefield games. Mm. The fact that they always handed out experience for doing things like healing people and throwing down an ammo pack that everyone uses. And uh, even if you're a sniper, they try and encourage you to not sit a million miles away and pick people off because by giving you extra points for spotting people with recon yeah. and things like that. It's uh, I, always, I thought that was a really clever way to try and encourage people to play together. I think so. There's very there's none of that in, in uh, Dead Island Riptide uh, because, you know, they've really just reproduced the first game entirely and done nothing to look at team dynamics or and they've they've still not corrected the stupid pricing system where if you want to upgrade your hammer to say like hammer with barbed wire on it you're paying 800 game dollars to do so and you're you're like not sure that that's that the seems dead weird economy is yeah <laughs> that that was a longer tangent than i expected mine was um starcraft 2 by the way um not because it's—I don't think it's a bad game in any way. It's just, I just rapidly realised that it was not for me, uh, and thus felt like I completely wasted my money. I mean, I've played about four games of it online or something like that, and I just find it um, stressful and not fun, and like I'm not learning either. I'm just there to be a punching bag for other people. Do you watch it at all? 
do you like watch any of the pro games or the um, Twitch no, streams? No, I haven't. Or... Um, I, I basically never watch any kind of esports. Oh, okay. Um, surprise for anyone who thought I knew what I was talking about last podcast. Uh, <laughs> there was no one who thought that. <laughs> so why did you pick it up in the first place? You just um, it basically was it was a pure well, peer pressure. Did, right? Like I mean, just everyone in the whole world bought it. it. It was pure peer pressure. Like a bunch of my friends were playing it. Um... Did Rich make you buy StarCraft too? <laughs> this is before I knew Rich. Actually, it was um, Tom Senior and uh, a friend of mine called, and uh, mostly Tom Senior, a friend of mine called Simon Wang. They were playing it. I thought I'd give it a go. I was always a bit uncertain about it because um, I'm, I'm not really into that kind of, to any kind of ultra competitive kind of gaming. I tend to be a much more relaxed kind of person. In fact, especially with StarCraft too, because I'm a big fan of Relic games, which really changed the dynamic. And StarCraft 2 felt like it was going really backwards in that respect in order to appeal to the esports crowd who I didn't have any interest in. And it turns out that first instinct was completely correct uh, from my point of view. <laughs> and I, to be honest, the, um, I probably could have played more of the single player campaign, which at least was trying to be interesting and vary things up between missions. But then I would have also had to sit through a extremely high priced and well uh, rendered dreadful story. I could, I mean, I could defend StarCraft 2 until the cows come home, but I, I mean, it will be the rest of the podcast if I do, so. <laughs> yeah, but basically... You're not wrong. About about the multiplayer, you're not wrong. Like, it's just not for some people. The same way that Dota isn't for some people, but Dota doesn't um, appeal to more people because... Um... I find it more intimidating than Dota because... For one thing, obviously there's three v three matches and things like that, but there's a lot. That's of, not what the game's about. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of one v one stuff, uh, and just me against a random versus a random puppy is like the most intimidating and frustrating experience ever, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, and unlike um, fighting games, for example, where that even if you get dominated, that experience is only going to take like two minutes if you get destroyed in like Street Fighter Four or something. In StarCraft Two, that can still take twenty five minutes. Of him just playing with you and then you die. I mean, I, I prefer though, but I, 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 I'm, that's probably only because I've played with friends at times. If I was always playing in a completely random crowd of people, I would probably never play that game, ever. I don't think anyone would play MOBAs if they never <laughs> played them with friends. I don't think anybody would play like most online games if they only like, if they never oh, played yeah, them with friends. Yeah. All right, well, that was longer than I expected, but... <laughs> Was... We, we had to explain why exactly all the ways that Dead Island Riptide was bad, and it's bad in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yes, it's a very fertile ground. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this morning I was reading about the um, Dead Island uh, MOBA that they've got. Oh, like, God. That they're planning. And the thing is, the idea of Dead Island, off the back of that marketing campaign with the torso sexy lady... <sighs> And then the idea of adding potential porny uh, MOBA artwork, <laughs> a sort of my inner feminist is just crying and gnashing her teeth. What is it? What is it about MOBAs that they have that? Because, like, I mean, okay, it might be for... completely unfounded, but you know, no, no, I, I think, it, I think, it was my... well, for it's, I, it's, I guess it's kind of hard to say because there aren't that many. Well, there are, but most of no one cares about most of them. Well, yeah, but it's just like, I mean, okay, so, so the first, the first, I'm sure there was probably one, well, there, okay, there was, but Dota was like the, the first big one, right? Mm. And even the splash screen art for Dota had some pretty questionable things in it. Um, Maybe that's why, because they've, because so much of that, they figure so much of that crowd is stemming from the original. The fact that, like, uh, I think, obviously, the audience for games in general is traditionally higher percentage male and also, like, 
when marketing departments look at things there's a certain amount of you know you look to a stereotyped view because that's the one that makes more sense financially and so you know like there is a sort of sex sells mentality combined with hey this is a male fantasy regardless of whether it's the fantasy that you as a man actually have you know and then it sort of winds up in these weird sort of lovingly rendered twisty ladies and dead island as a series has always felt driven to an extent by you know marketers oh, i mean dead island's, dead island's marketing's just been weird since the start right because there was that amazing trailer mm. with the, the girl dying and half of it was backwards and so on and so forth and actually oh, uh, yeah yeah i remember that that was yeah. actually in, in the hotel yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That was the yeah, first. That was actually really good. I was just like, oh, I, really, I you know, I'd like to play that. I think. Yeah, that was the first trailer we ever saw for Dead Island. Um, and there's a brilliant uh, series on game trailers uh, that's run by the guy who does all their voiceovers, um, where he just analyzes game trailers. And it, it sets, so it sounds awful, right? It sounds like somebody talking about a game trailer for like 15 minutes. <laughs> but he really knows his stuff, and he knows about mm. like marketing, and he knows about games, and he knows how to like the two link together. Um, yeah. And he was talking about that trailer, and it was the first time I'd, I'd seen it in ages. And I'd forgotten, like, the music is so sad and, and, and all the other stuff. So we got that trailer, and then Dead Island the game is not even close to that idea. Um, mm. and, and, and then, you know, we get to Riptide, and there's all this crazy, like, insane marketing that is just so even far beyond sexy ladies on. Um, MOBA splash screens or whatever it's a whole other level of, of insane and, and crazy i think i just i am so 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 willing to be proven wrong by all of this like you know it's it's just that that is my fear for, well, it, for the dead island moba to be just like the best game yeah. ever made incredibly you know you i'd know, absolutely stuff. love to have another moba that i fall in love with you know i mean time wise i i can't really have it in my life but i you know i i want there to be more games that i fall in love with it's just that we always I, want games I to be good. We're just disappointed when they are. So, so this trailer series has he analysed the dive kick trailer yet? <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I think I've seen this dive kick trailer. Oh my god, haven't you? It's not Pat Miller is in it, haven't it? Because like he is uh, a really big fighting game fan. Mm. Uh, so he's like one of the guys on the sofa during that trailer, just fight, like uh, playing away. Yeah, this... Tim Rogers does his shtick. <laughs> It's basically yeah, just two guys on a, a on a sofa, frantically miming buttons, getting more and more clearly then clearly uh, fake as the ga- as the trailer goes on, whilst <laughs> he just does the most insane rant of like like trying to be a Billy Mays infomercial, uh, but obviously uh, it's, it's obviously a joke uh, throughout the entire thing, and just shouting the most insane nonsense at you um really? whilst i almost keep expecting some kind of legal disclaimer to come up but it doesn't really see apparently it doesn't really need one and you can fully say if you do not buy dive kick you will die <laughs> his, his his metaphors are always my favorite and it's also um, like always waving a pot of coffee the entire time or yeah. playing with action figures yeah i mean tim tim Tim's funny because he will talk and talk and talk and talk. Once he's got the stage, like he'll go for it, and that's one of the cool things about it is like he never, he never um, wastes your time. He really, honestly, packs all of the information in, like constant, like just stream of consciousness stuff. I think I think it's a an amazing advert. I think uh, he's done like a few now. I think he's done like he did one for Dyad that was really similar. I think. 
Um, and I hope, and I think he's done another one for another game, maybe his own game. Um, so we're probably going to get like a series of them, which I, you know, I would like to own the, the, the collector's edition. Um, yeah. No, seriously, just someone employ him to do your E3 presentation. Oh my gosh, yes. Can you imagine him with one of those Britney mics on, strutting about the stage? It would be the best thing. <laughs> it definitely, if someone does it, it'll definitely be Ubisoft. They've always got the, the truly, you truly know, silly I would one. like um, somebody at uh, E3 to have the guy who did the um, Leviathan um, trailer. Oh, I heard about that one. I, I still haven't seen it either. Oh, it's a thing of, of great beauty. I think they overegged it with the second one, but right. uh, the first one was glorious and just sort of like sexy sounds. <laughs> it sounds like that dive kick trailer is, um, in in contrast to the, the original Dead Island trailer, is quite in uh, and keeping with the game because it's, I mean, it's just one of the funniest things I've ever played. Now, I, I have spent the past, I don't know, three years or so jumping in and out of the fighting game community i've never been very good at them mm. but um i watch it a lot um i still will say to anybody that evo is the biggest gaming moment of the year um every mm. year because it, it's just so incredibly exciting and every single minute of it is incredible um uh, and and so i get a lot of the jokes in dive kick but it's just full on all the time joke after joke after joke there is not like five seconds without something funny happening like all the um, all the characters are based on people from the fighting game community. Were, like the the final boss is the ex community director of Capcom, <laughs> Seth Killian, who was also like the boss in Street Fighter Four. Was just called Seth, but this is literally him, and he can like teleport around the place. And he's like the only character who can who doesn't die in one hit and stuff. Um, uh, and all like all the death sounds are quotes from the people that they're taking the piss out of, and it's 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 wonderful. I, I think everybody should play it. I don't know if everybody should pay for it, um, because even though it's only seven pounds, like if you play it once and go, this isn't for me, then that is seven pounds that much like me with Spelunky, you have thrown away uh, and are not getting back. Ben, have you played One Finger Death Punch? I haven't, but I've been told it's quite like Dive Kick. <laughs> it's similar in that it's a parody, but it is also incredible fun. It's basically it's basically a rhythm action fighting game. Uh, in which you you like play a character who stands in the middle of a screen, and waves of enemies run at you from each side. They all die in one hit. They're all little stick right. men. Um, and you know whenever they enter a, a zone that's um, near you, you hit either the um, either the left mouse button or the right mouse button to um, dash towards them and instantly kill them. Sure. Yeah. But there's an amazing amount of stuff stacked on top of that because it's not just a joke. Although it looks amazing when you know the st- uh, the music's playing and you're dashing from side to side with all these cheesy kung fu movie sound effects and things like that. Um, they, they, they then really cleverly build stuff on top of that. Like some of the enemies will have weapons, and if you kill uh, if you kill them, and take their weapon, then you, the size of your zone will expand, or right, uh, cool. yeah. stuff like that. And uh, there's also like. Green stick, uh, green stick men can t- uh, will block your first hit, so you have to immediately follow it up with the second one. Whereas blue stick men will roll away from your first hit, so you immediately have to hit in the opposite direction because they're now behind you. Oh, I see. Sure. <laughs> and all sorts of amazing stuff like that. It just and it just feels brilliant to play. Um, it's on Steam Greenlight now, and there's a link there to a demo you can download. So I'll put that well, in the show. Can I notes. just say, while you guys have been talking, I was just looking over at my screen, and three people it's popped up with so and so is now playing Dive Kick. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I mean, the thing about it is, it's much like what you're talking about with One Finger Death Punch. Is it is a real game? Mm-hmm. Like there is game in there. 
Um, and I, I reviewed it for, well, I didn't review it. I did an impressions for Rock Paper Shotgun. Um, and the thing that I really just wanted to stress was it isn't just, you know, you'll play it for five minutes and then you'll be like, oh, well, I one shot everybody. So that wasn't very fun. There's like, they've managed to put so much stuff in on top of that. Um, and it, it's kind of like uh, something you could show to people and be like, here's how you design a game so that all the pieces interact and you can take lots of simple things and make them more than the sum of their parts. Um, and it's, it, it is a proper thing. And I think you really need to do that with a parody game because yeah, no, absolutely. If, if, th- if you're worse than the thing you're parodying, you just, what's the fucking point? You're, you're basically yeah. scary movie at that point. <laughs> uh, so yeah, buy dive kick. Or your or Kara Ellison will kill you. I'll come to your house and kill you. <laughs> I bought Dive Kick and grew a beard overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it in a gravelly voice because he doesn't do that. But I just don't need to. <laughs> You're like you need to be more stereotypical because he's just so brilliant mm-hmm. that if if you try and if you try and um be like him, you just it, you'll fail, you'll die, he'll he'll be awesome. I've spent my entire so, writing career trying to be like Tim Rogers. <laughs> So um, I was gonna say the big well the two there's two big things that have happened if you're you're gonna be listening to this on Monday uh, in which case you've probably been playing Saints Row all weekend like we will but uh, we're recording this on Friday so none of us have really had a chance to play it so it looks incredible yeah, uh, yeah we'll probably talk about this next week so sorry if you wanted to hear us talk about giant pebble dildos um, we could probably talk about giant pebble dildos talk about that uh, yeah. yeah completely separate I mean, <laughs> I'm Karen, sure what's I've, your I've favorite giant pebble dildo uh, it's it's one from Anne Summers. Um, okay. It's, I heard uh, they do good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. Good, good quality. Bet you. I would. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I never want to think about ever again. Well, that was very informative, Cara. Thanks. So the other big thing that's been happening is Gamescom. Uh, one thing I want to talk about for once, I'm rather than asking you guys, is new XCOM. This is the most exciting thing that was announced as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I fucking love Enemy Unknown. Uh, and XCOM Enemy Within, as it's called, has been announced, which is a kind of expandalone. Sounds um, a bit filthy, really. <laughs> which just sounds fantastic. It's, uh, it's a bunch of new everything, as far as I can tell. Like, new troop types, new uh, maps, new, um, uh, new weapons, new resources. It's just like, uh, take that take the old game, rummage them all together, make everything bigger, which I think probably fits the kind of randomized um, big uh, open thing that game XCOM is. Um, I don't know, have you guys seen much about it? Uh, I um, I think I've read all the stuff when it came out, because I, I, I'm actually quite excited for it. Like, I, I'm not um, going to, you know, pre-order it or anything, but when I see it, I will probably get it, because I also really enjoyed it, I mean, and I quite enjoyed the originals as well. Um, and it looks like they may have kind of added in a bit of the kind of stuff that they used to do um, that they removed in the transition anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen a bunch of the stuff. It, it looks really cool. Like the idea of um, the new resource like despawns over time. So you can't just like scum um, your you enemies. Just stand around yeah, and which I think, I mean, I, I think that's going to annoy people when they're trying to play, you know, Iron Man Impossible or whatever. But I think if you're on um, one of the lower difficulties and you like you can't have that thing where if, if you're playing a game, you'll deliberately make it bad for yourself by um, scumming it uh, because you know that that'll lead to you winning. 
So I think this will help kind of remove that a bit, and you'll you know you'll dive forward a bit more, and your guys will get horribly killed because you're surrounded by mutants or whatever. Um, it does look cool. One thing I really like about it is that um, it would be very easy for them to announce something that put back in just just put back in stuff from the old game or try to do terror from a deep or whatever. Yeah. But no, they pretty much come up with a whole new thing of their own. They've got like mech suits and genetically engineered soldiers, which hasn't been done in XCOM before. And it real really feels like more than any other like remake game series, XCOM feels like something that's totally moving forwards. Yeah, and it's I think I think it's really genius as well because like so they haven't ever done um like the gene splicing stuff before, but they have done like non-item based improvements to your soldiers. I, th- yeah. I think it was in, in Apocalypse, definitely, and I, I, it was probably in other games as well. So it still has that classic XCOM feel, while obviously being an entirely new thing, um, which is basically why the game sold 14 bazillion copies anyway. So, see, really, that I didn't realize it was it sold that well. It, I, it did pretty well, I'm pretty sure. Probably better than the already Classified. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't actually. Um, I did feel kind of bad for the people who made. Uh, AceCom the Bureau declassified, especially when that got announced, because there's a fantastic article on Polygon which basically charts the whole course of development for uh, uh, XCOM shooter. I'm just going to call it that now. Because I've been uh, going for years, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's been right. since like 2006, yeah. and the ups and downs of it, are all through anonymous sources and stuff like that, and the where it gets bounced around between studios and remade and has new ideas all the time. Um, and this includes, especially in the last few years, repeatedly getting its thunder stolen by XCOM's turn-based strategy game. And then literally, like, the week after they released, new XCOM expansion announced. Everyone's talking about that instead. Jake Solomon <laughs> riding on his pink unicorn, cutting down the XCOM shooter squad. Yeah, I mean, there was a... Uh, I mean, I didn't really follow the history of it, but I did the preview for RPS. And it was like... It was just really controversial uh, for no reason. I mean, I guess everything I write is these days is controversial to someone. But uh, I think it, it was it was strange because really what I was saying in my preview was that I was calling it as being confu- a confused mess, uh, mm. which is what what I really feel the mechanic is. It doesn't really know what it is, um, and and I don't think that the uh, the you know the sort of strategy mechanic that they've implemented in the cover shooter part is actually good enough or are rewarding enough to carry the whole game and it really needs to be so it just ends up being like a really mediocre sort of mass effect style shooter um and it's kind of weird it's really weird it's weird to play i I didn't really enjoy it that much have you played a final copy uh i haven't i played um but basically, it was finished. It's a finished oh. game. It was a finished game when I played it. It's just that they only give you like three hours with it. Sure. Okay, um, and then by that time, you've only actually kind of just got going. But the problem is like that primary mechanic still wasn't particularly interesting right. or involving. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend reading the Polygon articles. If, if one thing, it, it will make you feel sorry for them because it's a game that's clearly gone through so many iterations and had so many different ideas. And at no point has it been down to like, you know cigar chomping executives going make a cover shooter all the kids love that nowadays it's just confused ideas and you know in inter studio inter office bickering and things like mm. that um 
at one point the early one of their early pitches had like a first person shooter which relied on you taking photographs and it was all about like researching oh, Christ, the I enemy threat. Remember that. Jesus. Yeah, and and all the aliens were all really like amorphous, uh, like amorphous blobs and wispy ghosts and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and there was and the that giant sounds... blue towers, right? And they were yeah. And that sounds amazing, but it also illustrates the problem how some things sometimes sound amazing but are really hard to make mm. because. They wanted to make a stealth photography game with amorphous enemies, but that means that you can never tell where anything is looking. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really hard to do stealth. Some enemies. people do. Like, it, it's, it's, they review pretty bad on RPS. Adam Smith was the one who did it, and I didn't think he liked it very much. I did read it. Um, he just said it was, it was okay, but not good. Um, but I mean, the, I've seen people that, that really enjoyed it. Uh, I think Video Gamers Review was quite positive. It does feel like a shame in a lot of ways because there are. It feels like there are things that could work there. That, that I think it's a brilliant idea. idea yeah. The idea of XCOM as a tactical shooter could work. The idea of aliens in the fifties is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and some of yeah, and so some of the bits and pieces they were showing earlier. At one point there was I don't even know if this is still in the game. There was like a whole thread about the civil rights movement uh, and things like that. It's it's weird though because, I mean it. It, yeah, you're right that the theme is kind of cool, but they just like really clumsily, it's really clumsily written. I mean, it, the first three hours is pretty much only story, and it's slightly embarrassing how boring the characters are and how awkwardly, how awkwardly it's told. And there's a bit where there's like one of those cliche bits in which like the main character is like lost his whole family in a fire or something, and he's like, no. And you're just like there is there's another way that you could have told me this story because this is just like really cringeworthy and um there's like secret notes that are left everywhere that are just like really obviously like labeled top secret and stuff and they're reading them and they're like really juvenile and silly and you're just yeah, like I, I i obviously i know it's 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 not turned out well at all but it does feel like there were good ideas in that process that just slowly got yeah, chewed away over but the years half the talent in making a video game is descoping. Essentially, mm. it's you deciding, like, we've got to make what we've got to do, like, all of these elements, we've got to do them well. How can we plan to do that? And that's obviously mm. not something. I mean, I think that they obviously did try and do that, but they, they, I think they probably had too many ideas to be able to actually see clearly what they were doing anymore yeah. and i think that's probably because there was lots of interference throughout the entire process but well that's the odd thing actually half the problem is that there was no interference uh there was very little top-down management this is going off this polygon article which is yeah. obviously all non-sources but um it, development was kind of split between 2k australia and 2k marin like oh wow they're, they're like i mean they're not even on the same time frame right like yeah communication exactly. must have been impossible exactly with australia theoretically in the lead and you the two studios had fallings out, but parts where they fell out, out with each other, part where they got together, lots of points where they didn't communicate very well, where they didn't have different ideas where to go, where control bounced forwards between from one to the other, where important employees left, and yeah, the whole thing ended up being really disorganised. <laughs> In fact, if, if you know, it almost feels like if an iron-booted publisher had put their foot down earlier on, it might have gone a little better. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if I've made it any more creative, but at least it would have meant it shipped three years ago. Yeah, and then they could be halfway through the sequel where they fix all the problems, right? Like, I mean, you know, well, that's the that's the dream anyway. Well, this is the problem with massive studios as well, is that you know the more people you've got to manage, the the more difficult it is to actually produce a product. I think so. Well, it's... Prey Two is going through the whole 
the whole thing right now, and that that's been in the news recently, right? Because they lied yeah, to journalists, basically. Lied to journalists. Which I mean, you know, it's, it's... I think you'll find they uh they, they lied to what was it? Uh, oh, what, what? journalist sneak fucks, press sneak, 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 press sneak fucks, yeah, yeah. yeah. Press sneak fucks are amazing. I only know press sneak fucks. <laughs> They're my favorite people. <laughs> stealthy sex operations with press members. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that does seem like it's having a bit of a torturous time, as the first Prey did, really. Um, but of course, it does. Right, right. Like, I mean, I haven't played it in years, but it seemed fine. I mean, it was a shooter where you shot things, but it's not very good. No. It's 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 well, it's it's deeply mediocre. Basically, it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a corridor. It's a corridor shooter, and um, that's really all you can say. So yeah, more about Gamescom. Com Which games. I haven't paid any attention to because it just it does doesn't interest me to such an extent that I've actually ignored all of it. Thankfully, so, due to the battle butterfly effect or some such, because Kara's paid no attention, I've had to pay all the attention. Well, that's because you're writing news during that period, right? And I also I'm still quite all in on the whole AAA bollocks. Yeah. Yeah, I I I I paid attention to most of it. There wasn't a huge amount of new no. news, I guess. There was a lot of there was a lot of here's slightly more information or another trailer or uh, on stump something we already knew about. And the people who were there got to play hands on with all sorts of cool stuff. But none of us went there, so we can't talk. I could totally get used to like. So people announce things at E3, and we get like the E3 trailers, and then people can think what they like about those, because the E3 trailers are very much designed for a certain audience, um, which is basically me, young white male. Yeah, it's interesting how a little less bombastic and um, and also less weirdly corporate uh, the Gamescom presentations were, even though they were from the same people from EA and Sony yeah. and the like. I mean, like, Sony's, um, I, I can't remember what happened in any of them. I actually watched them all, and I can't remember basically anything. I, I remember... Um, yeah, that's a, a lot of indie yeah. games. Yeah, they did. Fucking hell, Sony were just like, "Here's an indie game." Isn't it? For like forty-five minutes, they were just like, "Here's a bunch of indie games." Uh, they're gonna do really well with that, I think. Not really, yeah, I think um, so. Because there's there's really well suited to it, uh, uh, to it as a platform as well. Because they've also got the Vita, and they they they're clearly developing these things to release on multiple ones. Like things like Rogue Legacy is coming out on PS3, PS4, and Vita, and um, all of these things are pretty much being designed to come out on all three of these platforms at once. They also have a program where they seed um, Sony uh, technology, like developer kits and stuff, uh, within university programs. Oh, really? And so um, the students who are learning uh, to become developers, essentially, have um, will graduate having already an understanding of the workflow processes involved in working for Sony and on like PlayStation products and things like that. So yeah, they very much um, are trying to sort of uh, build a, a sense of a future and sort of you know the, encourage that next generation to come to them rather than any of their competitors. They really do seem like the good guys, don't they? It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's always a mistake, I think, to break it into good guys. Yeah, yeah, guys. no, like, like I mean, I don't, I don't think they're actually acting. I mean, obviously, they're definitely not acting in a way that's not going to be beneficial for their their shareholders and their stockholders and and the company in general. But they're just like every time I think of something that's like, you know, it'd be nice if a big company did X, Y, Z. Sony either already has or they announced it at their next press conference, and it, it's just it's weird. It feels like Sony, like it's not necessarily a sort of good guys, bad guys thing. It's, it feels more that it's um, 
that Sony just for for this generation of consoles for sure just have a better handle on what the market is looking yeah. for and the direction that people want to go in and things that will get them good publicity i mean sort of working with the indie scene these people have it, it's it reminds me of um when big companies suddenly realized the power that bloggers had like yeah. beauty companies and fashion companies suddenly started courting the attentions of these people slightly outside the mainstream outlets because they had followers and they had sort of a perceived grassroots legitimacy and it's something that I kind of see mirrored in the sort of the indie scene not necessarily in that much of a cynical way either it, it, it's just that it makes good business sense and there are these payoffs and it is you know I think people genuinely want to create things that they feel good about you're right to point out that it's this generation because pretty last time around for the first couple of years it was almost it felt almost like exactly the reverse of the, the situation where Sony were trying to push people to buy Blu-ray players and Microsoft were just making a games console. Yeah. <laughs> of course, they were pushing Xbox uh, Live Arcade and indie stuff incredibly then, and it's taken like it took like five or six years. People eventually worked out that, that was a terrible idea to to get involved with them because. I just don't know why you do it. I, I've heard so many horror stories. It's, it sounds like you get such a terrible contract. I mean, people keep doing it as well, like even now. And not just, um, there's the whole Skulls of the Shogun thing where they went Windows 8 exclusive and it killed them. And they're finally now on Steam for like Windows 7 and they're not doing so bad now, I think. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a business analyst or anything, but uh, I, I do wonder, and it's not like they're offering you a lump sum to do this either. I it doesn't seem like you make more money even as a, a, a reasonable hit on even as a big right. hit on um Xbox uh, on a on an Xbox indie arcade or whatever than just releasing on Steam or this, I mean the sweet spot is your I, I think it's between four and seven pounds um so around ten dollars um on the Steam uh you somehow get through green light like you know through whatever. Uh, and then some big YouTube superstar plays your game and says it's good, mm. and then um, we find it, games journalists find it, and we put it on Rock Paper Shotgun and PC Gamer and all these other places, and all that crowd go for it. I don't think it always happens that time around. I think I think the YouTube community likes to think it happens that time way around. <laughs> uh, I mean, for, for one thing, like, um, and I guess advice to any indie game maker... Um, Enter the IGF because not because you might win, but because there will be a games journalist assigned to play your game, whether they want to or not. Yeah, a bunch of ex games journalists that every other games journalist follows on Twitter yeah. in it. Um, for example, uh, Tom Francis often judges the but IGF. But like F FTL, right? First, I heard of FTL. The first, I think, any time it picked up in the media was um, Graham, editor of PC Gamer, got. Uh, played it in the IGF Awards, said it was brilliant, told everyone else at PC Gamer it was brilliant, wrote about it, then Tom Francis wrote about it, then other sites wrote about it, and YouTube streamers picked it up, and it all gained momentum from just him finding it in the IGF. I don't know if it was assigned to him or if he just found it at random. The other thing that really helps when an indie sends you their stuff is for them to have actually thought, okay, what does this person need to make writing the article as painless as possible? Not in terms of them feeding you what to say, because you'll obviously play it and have your own opinions and your own feedback, but it, it, in the sense of them actually providing you with assets at a high enough resolution that you can use 
on your website and giving you the links to things if people you know did want to then play it or download yeah, it or definitely. you know like all of that whole kind of thing um you know just thinking okay so if this person actually writes about it what do they need yes to have to hand to make my life easier and their life easier yeah take some good screenshots and preferably not just of like landscapes and and environments of stuff you know of action if possible or characters as well send them to people or just put them on your website so that people can find them and use them and if there's something you really want to champion about your game, make sure that that's the, yeah. the thing that you've like screen grabbed as well. You know, if there's a, a super cool feature about it that you want to talk about, then there's no sense in then not having evidence of it, you know, because otherwise the, the article looks really weird. You mentioned screen yeah. light for a second there. We, should, uh, uh, we do want to talk about that a bit because it's all going a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> for is other it industry not... analysis, please uh... come from that field. <laughs> A bit weird in it, in it. on <laughs> August 2013. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I mean, people are actively, there are only developers who are actively deleting their games from Greenlight. I mean, right, okay, hang on. So I have a question about this, and, and I might I might get hate for this, but is there anyone deleting their game from Greenlight who was ever going to make it on Greenlight? No, that's, that's, I don't think so. I think that's why they're deleting them. But on, that, that doesn't, doesn't really that doesn't mean they're not good games, though. No, no yeah, sure. Like, so if they're good games, that's fine. But if if they delete, like, I, I delete my game if it was just chilling on Greenlight because looking at it every day would depress me. Yeah, no. Like you know, but what I'm saying is these guys probably won't go on a second time round if they come up with a different game. And that is true. Yeah, 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 from, uh, but I mean, I I've I've been. Sp- Speaking to um, a few uh, indie developers here in Brighton, because uh, I co-run uh, Brighton Indies, and the um, the, pr- the primary conversation I had last at Brighton Indies was the fact that um, there was a group of developers who were making a very simple puzzle game that's going on iOS as well as PC and Mac and those kind of platforms. So they put it on Greenlight, and the producer was telling me that actually... I mean, it was a very simple sort of test run to see if the developers could actually work work together on a project. So it was like their first project together. And she said that she spends most of her time. And bear in mind, it is just a puzzle game about squares. Like, that's literally all it is. Um, and, um, and she says she spends most of her time deleting death threats. Um, she gets like 70 death threats a week or something. This doesn't have... Sorry, this doesn't have anything to do with like the fact that she's a woman or whatever. It's just because people have seen the game and been like, "This is bad. I'm going to send a death threat." No, no, I, I don't think that there is. Uh, there, I don't think there's any real reference to her gender on the page, as okay. far as I'm aware. But this is the weird thing: the Greenlight community doesn't seem very like a great place because, and I, I, I can kind of see what that is. It's because do you go on there? Do you, do you no. post comments? I don't. I, I only go on there. If, I, I literally only go on there if an indie game that I'm already interested in and I've read about somewhere else says, please vote for us on Greenlight. Um, and then I vote for them and then I leave. I think they yeah, should. I, think I do vote. I don't necessarily yeah. leave comments. Cause I yeah. Don't... This is the problem. But do you do the whole, like, the thing? Because I think the way it's meant to work is you're meant to go on there and then you'll see a game, you'll judge it for 30 seconds, you'll hit yes or no, and then you're meant to do that, like, 50 times and that's because of like next in Cuban, right i've never clicked right. the next in Cuban. and the thing the, th- the thing about yeah. communities like is the crazies are always the last ones to leave because they have nothing else to do yeah it's gone full youtube <laughs> yeah exactly so when everyone else whilst everyone else has you know maybe been an, enamored by it at first and is now just popping on there to vote every once in a while all the nutters who send death threats to people who make puzzle games they don't have lives so they don't have anything else they, they're still there and they're the only people there now. 
this to me though seems like like why would you have comments open on Greenlight? Like it seems like a oh yeah, absolutely weird. So it's about Kickstarter as well. Why does Kickstarter have comments? And why do uh, you they use... end up having good discussion in uh, there. Actually, say, uh, but if, if so, they are they open to everyone? No, you have to back it. Okay, all oh, right. I thought they were open to everyone. Yeah. I mean, okay. you can just put a dollar in and tell you them they're them, but, yeah. idiots. Um, or whatever. But it's, it's fun. I don't know. Like it seems to me like you know you you might get emails asking questions from backers maybe uh but it seems to me like it's a pointless thing having a, a comment section on Greenlight. it just doesn't seem to me like it's necessary well if there was if there was a decent discussion going on in there like if imagine imagine a perfect world where you know everyone's quite eloquent and not awful and they would all go on there and they'd be like look here's why maybe your game shouldn't be on Greenlight, or you know maybe your game isn't very good or or Here's something that would so. improve your game. They'll but be you saying, say... oh, you know, thank God this is here. But, but... I mean, in that case, we're assuming that everyone, every single person on the internet has something interesting and informative to say about a game, and we've, we all know that's not true. Well, yeah, but I mean, we, can't, we can't separate them out. I mean, there, must, there are people... I would use Greenlight if it was a nicer place, maybe, you know, if, if I got into it. It's never really seemed particularly easy to kind of just go to Greenlight and click through a bunch of games and, and make comments on them. Um, the or thing if is, don't to. you think that maybe that's not necessarily the point of green light i mean just to sort of put the counterpoint to that i've not really viewed it much as an exploratory place more um that it's an opportunity for the uh, or or that steam sort of want or valve want uh the developers to spend their own time promoting their game and getting people to the page and page on you know one of the biggest and most important platforms in gaming that's never going to go down like you know you will always have a page somewhere on the internet that you can link to. i was talking to the developer of StarMade about this and he said that's the function he really liked about it but basically he did exactly the opposite to what valve wants everyone to do which is to uh, put it up on green like forget about it for a year and then eventually get a message saying you've been approved yeah. um after getting a bunch of publicity thanks to yogs cast and since then he's kind of used it as a bit of a hub platform just because you know lots of people seem to use there seem to be at least some people who use steam as their portal into the internet in almost every way and for those people this is the you know the hub location for his game i think that um steam well valve could do more to sort of engender a healthier community i think that's very complicated uh, as an undertaking um and so i think you know it might be a a better idea to somehow you you know like um like on kickstarter where the comments and the feedback are actually on a separate tab you know and um you know they're they're not hidden exactly but they're just not immediate and and I think that sort of barrier maybe gives you a, just that split second to think. And I think maybe that changes the conversation ever so slightly. But also I think that um, that the problems with or the problems that people have cited again and again with the green light service aren't necessarily ones that you can solve easily either. Because we were going to go on to talk about GOG and the fact that they've said essentially what they've said is that you can as an indie submit your title what they will then do is provide professional feedback 
if they take your game, then they will give you the sort of the industry standard royalty splits, uh, sort of 70, 30, 70 to the developer and 30 to um, to GOG. Uh, but also they, they will take care of the marketing and, and things. Oh, and really? I don't necessarily think that that deals with any of the or it might not deal with any of the problems because to be honest what you might just get is an avalanche of indie developers submitting their games god then don't have the resources or you know like it you know it's it sort of snowballs like you can't necessarily do the things that they've said just because you know what the problems are with steam it doesn't mean that you have set have the resources to fix them that's the problem greenlight was essentially set up to circumvent is that Valve felt they were getting too many communications from too many indie games trying to get onto Steam. They didn't have the resources to deal with them, and they so they they tried to do what Valve, I guess, the kind of the Valve solution to everything, which is outsource it to the community. Mm. Um, the, what I think there was a debate about this. I think it must have been when the Gog thing went went up, and what I said was, um, it seems like they kind of made Greenlight, and then you know how they have this um, this choose your own title type thing. Uh, no, everyone decided their title wasn't head of greenlight development because it hasn't, <laughs> as far as I know. Now this could be wrong. I, again, I don't pay an awful lot of attention to greenlight, but it hasn't really changed at all since it went up. It's the same, you know, two buttons with a terrible comment section underneath. Yeah, I mean, this is. I think this is uh, obviously this is disclaimer. This is largely speculation on my part, but we're told that Valve is this perfect creative community where everyone is an independent thinker who goes off and creates their own projects and while this all sounds lovely and wonderful this explains why they're terrible uh, they seem so bad at doing these things that require someone to do donkey work essentially what they need for Greenlight is a bunch of people to proof all these things but that's not the kind that's not the way they work they don't they don't employ a bunch of low-wage people um, and this is also why Steam support is not very good because they don't employ a bunch of re- regular tech support people. Yeah. What you're basically saying is there's too much carry in Valve and not enough support. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I live my life through the prison of Dota. I can't help myself. You're lucky that was the only reference I've managed. Well, well done. <laughs> Oh, that was good. <laughs> Look, it was relevant. It's the damn game, you know. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I I remember thinking this a bit when uh, when Origin launched, and I was uh, using that, and uh, there was a lot of you know uh, gamers talking angrily about Origin as support, but a lot of people are very wrong on their opinions about Origin. Yeah, you could see the difference was basically the difference is you you have a problem on Steam, you send you log into a weird separate support system and send a ticket to valve and then in like a few days uh if you're lucky you get a response you might have to ping things back and forth with a few days between each email eventually you'll probably get the right answer with origin you can sign up to a live chat and immediately be talking to someone uh and they might give you they might misunderstand or get you wrong the first time but you're talking to them right away so you'll probably have the problem fixed quicker yeah and the same thing's true at blizzard really like you know, with WoW or whatever, they set up this huge support structure. I mean, they definitely feel more like people working in a call center, but yeah. um, rather than pro engineer, but they are talking to you immediately. <laughs> I think yeah. that's, that's just a big thing with, with Greenlight. I think a lot of the uh, bad feeling and the frustration towards it could be instantly um, ameliorated just by more transparency. 
mm. and sort of just just better um, communication because otherwise it sort of breeds this kind of well you're kind of just letting us do this thing and then eventually something will float to the top and you'll come in and just scoop it out you know that's the other big problem a lot of developers have with it is there's this there's this massive uncertainty between the number of likes a games get uh, a game gets how it rise uh, how high it rises and whether when that means you're going to get greenlit and it there feels used to be a, a progression yeah, thing i think yeah but even that it, didn't really it work just, yeah it, it was one of those fake loading bars we're so used to uh, which don't actually give an indication yeah it jumps to 99% and then installs the actual game one of the time yeah mm. but um Simon Roth of Myers has uh, written a bunch of stuff where he basically just tried to dice- tried to from his from his point of view dissect the stats behind how Meyer was doing right. on uh, Greenlight um, because no one knows and that's incredibly frustrating to some people. Like if you go through the FAQ and stuff, um, which I did because apparently I'm that person. Um, <laughs> I it, it it tells you it that there aren't any absolute values. It's it's more that it everything is viewed relative to everything else and that like i think maybe valve would just sort of take interest in unusual activity or in proportionally greater sort of upvoting or you know sudden spikes or something it's i think i get the feeling that yeah there's a lot more of a kind of i feel like there's probably quite a subtle system behind it but because of the fact that it probably based on a more complex algorithm then it also just makes the whole process seem arcane and it's like, you know it's, it's significantly advanced technology so we think it's magic basically right like, <laughs> or that it's just arbitrary and unfair yeah when you hide something behind a, a, a complex and, and an arcane seeming algorithm like that you can often breed hostility from people who ascribe malice to a dumb machine code i mean i don't know if you've ever seen um, this whole thing about like uh, Yelp, which uh, a bunch of small business owners are convinced that Yelp is persecuting them, because, uh, or trying to you know, um, or trying to blackmail them into buying marketing with them because uh, not all positive reviews appear on their site because right. Yelp has a weird filter that tries to that tries to even out some of the more suspect ones. It's sure, an accusation yeah. that gets uh, leveled at Google a lot as well, and you know. There have been some kind of, you know, some uh, investigations into whether Google sort of prioritizes particular things over others when, you know, delivering search results. And the fact that sometimes if Google thinks that you're trying to game them, then they will hand down some sort of business crippling punishment, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of like all of those systems, I think, well, don't necessarily need to be more transparent because then you just get people who will sit there for hours just trying to game them but i think that the communication needs to be better and there needs to be a lot more transparency in terms of expectation or what you as a developer can expect from valve for example or from you know i mean gog have been uh, pretty upfront with what they want to do i i just mm. would like to see how that plays out before i get too enthusiastic because it feels like it might end up being a massive undertaking on their part that the organisation is not necessarily set up to withstand. Should I talk about Dreamphone? You should definitely talk about Dreamphone. <laughs> uh, should we just walk away for 20 minutes, Cara? You can just talk about Dreamphone. 
Well, and what then, what do you want to know about Dream Phone? Is all, Dream Phone is, is like it all I see. from the original. <laughs> yeah, it's a gritty remake. Uh, <laughs> they've tried to make it the They've turned it into a third person yeah, cover sheet. I am being mocked. I will not stand for this. <laughs> <laughs> I vastly preferred the original Dream Phone before they added all these additional oh, mechanics. I thought, okay, so I thought Kara was playing... Phones, we created Dream Phones of our own. <laughs> I thought that Kara was playing the like digital version of Dream Phone, and it used oh, to be no. just a board game that like you would play, and sometimes it would be hopelessly broken, and you'd end up unable to rendezvous with Chad on the beach because the game had got confused, and like the answers it was giving you was you know yes. a bit weird. And, so but anyway. yes, this is the main problem with Dream Phone. Um, so there, are, there's a new version of Dream Phone which we did not play. Uh, <laughs> There is a new version. No, I'm just wondering if like, there's two versions of Dream Phone. <laughs> well, there's the new version is essentially, I don't know if it's actually even affiliated with the original. Um, it's just called Dream Phone. And essentially, it's 20 quid and it's made by, who, what are they called? Like Image or something? Or what are they called? Um, Dream Phone. <laughs> essentially, um, it, it's, it's, like a kind of, I think it's made by a different company. And the original was, oh, it's made by Ideal, this new one. Um, and the original was made by MB Games, which is part of Hasbro. And so actually, if you go on eBay and look for Dream Phone, you'll get like a bunch of people saying it's vintage. And I'm like, vintage? It was made in 1996, you twat. Like, what, <laughs> what about this is vintage? Like, uh, it's not a fashion wheel is um, vintage. <laughs> uh, sorry? Do they think that, like, fashion wheel is vintage as well? And, um, Spyrograph. That's 16 years old, Cara. Dream phone is old enough to be in the army. Dream phone is legal. <laughs> <laughs> it's now legal. It's actually... Oh, yeah. <laughs> But um, it's really weird because it's like, you know, like I feel maybe it's just because I feel old now. But I remember thinking, oh, when I was younger, I was like, oh, I'd really love to play Dream Phone because it looks so glamorous and it's all about boys. And like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it um, really does feel like things teenage girls are supposed to like. But yeah, no. So we played 1996 Dream Phone. Uh, which the is original, as it was meant to be. <laughs> yes, and um, essentially it's as it's casual. It's yeah, and it's it's as Pip says, the, the actual dream dream phone itself. It sounds like a kind of like South African Microsoft Sam, um, and essentially like you dial, uh, you get <laughs> sorry, a South African Microsoft Sam. Yeah, Just that's like what it sounds voice. like. It's like, right. he looks cool in whatever he wears. And you're just like, <laughs> what? What? Oh my god! Um, and so yeah, it's like this bizarre like phone that like has this terrible Microsoft Sam kind of thing on it. It's this horrifying haunted personality. So you call the sexy robot. So so you get three cards, right? You've got like twenty four cards, and on each of the cards is a picture of a boy and his number below, and you get three little, cards. Who's your favourite character? Hang on, we need to focus My on My favourite is Richard. He's really cute. So anyway. <laughs> I love that she had the answer right away. Because he's got cheekbones, you guys. He's got the card right in front of her and you know it. I know. It, like, <laughs> She's got I, a frame I, it's above, your, above your monitor, right? My, it's a, her, his picture is in my wallet. Um, <laughs> but essentially, um, uh, so you get three cards dealt to you, and you've got to have three boys in your hand at any given time. 
You've been winding up to that joke this whole time. <laughs> I wrote it down in my rock, paper, shotgun review, which is going up today. Um, so anyway, uh, so yeah, so I, you get three boys in your hand at any time. So you basically, you, you take it in turns to go around the circle. And you've got, you've got to, uh, like, say, I'm calling so-and-so. So, like, say, I'm calling Dave. And then yeah, someone else can use one of three special cards if they want to that moment. And they, it, one of the special cards is, um, um, what is it called? Like, Mom Says Hang Up, <laughs> which is, like, essentially a picture of an 80s-looking mom who's, like, <laughs> you know, wagging your finger, but hang up. Um, and it's really funny. So basically it's a really sort of like, it's a bit of a dick move playing the mom says hang up thing. It's like, mom says hang up, hang up the phone. Um, and then there's like one that's called uh, share a secret, which is like you pass it to someone to have them like, sh- like you can press redial after they've listened to the answer on the phone. Uh, so you can show their secret. And then, um, and there's one card. I've forgotten how vindictive this game it's was. It's really vindictive. And then there's. Uh, have there's... you played it, Tom? Hang on. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then there's, and then there's one card. <laughs> Who is your favorite? I do. Yeah. Remember, I don't remember anything about it other than, other this. than having three boys. It is quite, yeah, it is quite a bit. Like it's, it's, it's like basically it's to create rivalry between women over men. So it's basically a traditional sort of gender role in a in a game. Um, mm. And essentially, yeah, the third card is uh, it is what is it? It's oh yeah, speakerphone where it's like, everyone gets to hear your answer on the phone. Oh my basically. god! Yeah, it's, it's like it's it's basically like a. Um, a mean it's mean girls the game really isn't exactly it? yeah <laughs> which, which sounds incredible and like the best thing i've ever played because mean girls is the best movie ever made but but it's like a really this game is like a really shit cluedo because basically um... through a process of elimination you have to find out like because the boys on the phone will only tell you who he's not so mm. they'll, you'll phone up you'll dial the number and yeah, it'll be like huge yeah and and like they'll, you'll dial the number and then they'll be like um he like he looked good or whatever he wears and then secretly in, some, in the second part of the message will be only for the player holding the phone and then it'll be something like he's not wearing a tie um it's basically guess who is, yeah you know it's guess here. who across yeah. with Pluto. yeah and but it, the way that it's framed within this whole dating thing just makes it sound like the world is there to torment yeah you. and it yeah but it's 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 weird because like there's one boy that fan there's one boy that fancies everyone you're kind of like, well, what? Like, he's clearly not very discerning if he wants all of us, and we're expected to compete to see if we can find out who he is first. Like, it's really bizarre. And then sometimes the boys will be dicks, so like, say you've called Gary, and Gary Gary, Gary will say something like, I know who it is, but I'm not telling. And you're like, oh, what a cock. And if someone's played um, someone's played speakerphone card on that then everyone's like oh or if someone's played share a secret and it's that everyone's oh i've just wasted it you know um so it's fuck that guy yeah it's quite funny to screw over your friends but then actually just gamify screwing over your friends which is a thing that women are supposed to do to each other anyway so it's kind of just weird all the best board games are based around screwing over this doesn't sound like one of the best board games it isn't it's like a really (laughs) dull cluedo um and the the only the thing about it is, like, the only reason you would play it is, like, now if you're a grown-up woman and you think that this is just, like, a bizarre sort of remnant of... You don't even need to be a woman. This sounds incredible. Oh, just yeah, like we got... That, we played that five yesterday. beers... Well, not beer. 
Yeah, we played it with my friend Justin, and he, but he was ultimately extremely bored. Like he said something okay. like, "Um, if this is what, uh, I don't want to be a girl. If this is what girls have to do all the time, or something." Just like, oh, it's like he's having an epiphany. Exactly. How, how realistic did you find it? Um, <laughs> Do you know what the disappointing thing about yeah the disappointing thing about Dreamphone is that there are certain aspects of its systems which actually are quite realistic. Yeah, it sounds because um, when I was in high school, I had quite a lot of female friends, and it does reminisce slightly. It's just because essentially, like the idea is, you're supposed to compete over one guy, and if you were in my school there was pretty much only one guy who wasn't a knobhead and everyone else was actually just a massive dick. Um, but didn't you all like the knobheads? No. Like, that's what everyone well, liked the knobheads in my high school. Not, I'm not okay. saying, you know, just the girls. I think everyone you're did. coming at it from a very different point of view. There was usually like one guy who got sort of somehow highlighted. Like, I don't know. Usually it was because Prime he knobhead. sort of was quite fit. And uh, so, yeah. so like people would sort of compete for his attention or if you were sort of not one of the um you know like so high school is stratified in that way like you'd have like the popular boys at the boys school and they would hang out with the popular girls at the girls school and then there'd be people like me who very much just didn't even want to be there um and would just sort of slope off at lunch times and hide behind a wall and chat to people we could do a dream school. phone expansion where we have all the nerds and they play on like a different board and they just have to fuck everything up but the thing is, like, I feel that... like you guys went to American high school movie high school, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just went to a place where they taught us. Some I think things. the bigger your high school is, uh, the more. Yeah, I went. I went to an all boys school, which probably. Uh, didn't yeah, help I think regard. the bigger your high school is, the more likely it is there will be very uh, specific social groups. Um, I went like... to a girls' school, and like, yeah, mine was stratified that way. There were like the popular girls, and then there was a sort of like an indie crew, and then there were like, you know, it, it did sort of bundle up that way. Yeah, there were different groups of people that hung around together, but it didn't feel like a hierarchy, at least to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, Dreamphone is mechanically not a good game, mm. but if you get enough people to play it, it's just the novelty of, of actually playing it is... It's the same as watching a bad fun. movie, really, right? Yeah. Or like playing Dead Island Riptide in co-op. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. And as, as well, like it is kind of a novelty having a really stupid voice from a phone to tell you <laughs> things. But anyway, to get back to uh, the conclusion, essentially, um, the phone is broken. Um, because what happens is, um, if you... If you put down the phone too hard on the on the table, then it will reset the entire game. Right. Uh, For example, if Gary's being a massive dick and you're like, yeah, Fuck if someone Gary. sets down like, so I was playing it with Keza. Keza, Keza slammed down the phone and it reset the entire game that we've been playing for an hour with like <laughs> seven oh, of us or something. I don't understand how you can make this game and not understand that people will slam down the throat whilst fl flouncing in frustration. That's Again, yeah, it's central a, it's to the whole dynamic. Exactly. And the so the, basically the technology of the dream phone is shit. The second time I played it, um, the, th the thing that went wrong was that the dream phone, if you leave it for over 15 minutes and don't dial a number, then it times out and resets. <laughs> So essentially, we got we got to we got quite drunk playing the thing. So you have to be quite tipsy to even yeah. think that Dreamphone is funny, and um, and then you're playing it, and 
we got carried away and we talked for 15 minutes and then the phone reset and it, it, the whole game is reset. So you've been playing it for like an hour and a half and now you have to basically How just... How is it that long? It's just because you... I don't know, you just... It depends. Well, it's I just swear a game of Cluedo or, or Guess Who doesn't take an hour and a half and it has been a long time. Well, it's just because you, if you end up like talking and chatting and, and eating... Sure, yeah, fair enough. I mean, then... it is a social yeah, game. it's 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 not like a game game. So it's it, yeah, so it's not, <laughs> not a very not, all right, not, it's not a game. <laughs> it's game. Sorry, but yeah, it's 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 funny because it's because it's silly, but like essentially the actual central premise, the actual phone malfunctions or doesn't work in the best way, and so that's quite annoying. Uh, so essentially, it's a broken game. So I wonder if the new Dream Phone. Uh, is actually slightly better as a as a thing because like it's Dream you know. Phone HD Remix. <laughs> I know. I mean, maybe it might actually have a digital display instead of you slot in the card to the phone and then it displays the number in the display because it's cardboard and is written on there. It's like that. You know, that's very high tech. But maybe, maybe the new dream. Should, maybe they should do, you know, one of uh, like a sort of a weird, creepy live action kind of thing. So you'd sign up to the service, and then suddenly <laughs> your actual phone would get inundated with these guys, just like I know who likes you. Horror, like stalker thing. <laughs> I think it's pretty easy to achieve that for free. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, you just get Grinder or OkCupid or something, and and then you're you're playing Dream Phone in the real world. <laughs> Grinder is like Grinder is currently on my phone, but somebody I only remembered it because I don't think um, you're the, target I, the thing is, no, I downloaded it for something to do with work. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and right. Just like, but the thing is, because of the way I'd set up my um, my wallpaper, like. <laughs> I had a picture of an owl that looked like it had a zombie head because of where the plants versus zombie icon had fallen. So I took a screenshot of it and just put it on Twitter, like, ha, oh, you know, it's a slightly funny looking image. And then I get a message from my friend Tom, just like, why is Grinder in your news folder? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. In in conclusion, the uh, outside of the dream phone box had underneath the phone, it had written on it, the phone inside this game is not a real phone and cannot be used to communicate over any telephone network. <laughs> As if you buy this game because it's got a phone in it for your house or something. And then, yeah, you try to call and it'd be like some... Like, mom, it's not working... Yeah, some, some, you know, South African Microsoft Sam character is trying to phone me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. It's, 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 a, it's a pleasure to play if you've got people who are willing to indulge in this okay. novelty. Let's talk about um, the fashion thing. I think the fashion thing is pretty interesting, so we should talk about that, if it's okay. Mm. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, Pip, give us some kind of intro. So, the project that I was really interested in this week is called Double Flawless and it was um, a collaboration between a fashion illustrator called Danielle Meader and um, uh, one of the people who runs a a gamer camp in uh, Canada called Jamie Wu and so he was um, thinking about the fact that he didn't think that 
fashion critique could be uh or, or that video game fashion couldn't be critiqued in an in-depth way like it wasn't sort of interesting enough or well-rounded enough somehow um and so what he wanted to do was to take uh five really famous uh female video video game characters like um princess zelda chun li um Mylena from uh, Mortal Kombat, uh, who were the other two, Lara Croft and Commander Shepard, um, and so... I wouldn't have considered he, Melina that famous, but sure. But yeah, the one is a bit Iconic, I guess. And also, well, t- uh, part of it was to do with taking women who had been traditionally set up to appeal to straight men mm. and then translating that into something that was aimed sort of squarely at a female target audience and so I think Mylena would have been included simply because well not simply because but partly because of the fact that her clothing is so stereotypical. Oh yeah yeah no that makes sense like that's why you wouldn't include someone like say Faith or Alex Vance because they Mm. they aren't designed in that fashion. Yeah yeah so and I was kind of surprised with that in mind actually that Lara Croft was included because actually her wardrobe is pretty functional yeah, but I mean, she's always, she's like, she's the character, certainly for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, that if somebody said female games character, Lara Croft was, was it, basically, for a long time. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she was definitely treated as a pinup for early. Yeah, years. I mean, there's the whole, like, size of her breast thing yeah. and stuff as well. Yeah. But anyway, so um, what Danielle did was take these characters and, like, research them, their personalities, their roles in the games, and then applied. Uh, that to a sort of fashion illustration style thing so she paired each one of them with a style icon and with um, a particular fashion designer's collection and then just sort of did the um, a, a fairly standard uh, fashion illustration type drawing of them and um, you can actually see like we'll put a link in the show notes so that you can actually go yes. and see exactly what they look like each yeah and if you're if you're listening to our actions you can just follow through to our website which will have uh, all the things listed there mm. the most interesting thing for me about it was that because um, it sort of highlighted uh, the fact that women being marketed at women is just as problematic but just in different ways mm. as women who are being marketed at straight men yeah i know i um i i looked at this out you sent me the link to this and i took a look i guess i was kind of expecting things to be well i i was expecting a much more perhaps a much more sensible approach a much more um or a much more normal and ordinary looking women i guess less leg I was not expecting this amount of leg. Also, um, the crazy thing is, we talk about unrealistic body types in games, uh, to an extent. I mean, unrealistic is a terrible way to put it. Um, read Boob Jam, that explains it much better than I do. Um, <laughs> but we talk about unusual body types where um, women have uh, um, you know, extraordinary large breasts and things like that in games. This is also also unusual but from the opposite perspective it's not like exaggerated breasts or uh, or you know or asses or anything like that but they're all remarkably skinny this is so unusual in fact that when i saw it i just assumed it was stylized and not like meant to kind of mm-hmm. represent what people would look like and, and, and that's probably also because of you know male gaze and all i've ever seen in my life is stuff that was aimed at me so what i think looks normal does in fact look as 
you know, weird as this does. Well, as a fashion journalist, as a former fashion journalist, Pip is probably the best person to explain this kind of thing. <laughs> um, well, the obviously sort of fashion illustration is, it, it kind of, it can take things to extremes. Yeah. So, you know, th- these are highly, highly stylized mm. uh, images and it, it's part of a, a, a genre of drawing that if you're familiar with fashion you look at it and you understand what it is you kind of understand its relationship with reality in the same way that you know you can look at um pictures of bodybuilders and understand that that's not you know Mm -hmm. the norm but but there are sort of tropes within that field that you sort of you start not seeing them after a while or they start not looking weird because that's just how things are drawn you know it's it's basically stuff that makes with fashion, oftentimes it's like these are the bodies that make the clothes look good rather mm. than these are the clothes that make the bodies look good. Yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a big um, sort of, I feel like there's a trend of women who have like particularly boyish figures, maybe going on catwalk, catwalk, catwalks to sort of to display this kind of fashion. Like, I don't know if that's how you feel about it. Um... Not necessarily, because I think, you know, the uh, models that actually earn the most money, I, I think that was probably true uh, a few years ago, um, but I I feel like the obviously the models who are listed in like Forbes or whatever is earning the most money, like Giselle's on there, and she's very definitely got a very sort of womanly figure, and I know that that is an awful way of phrasing it, it's more just you will understand what I mean by that as in she is not flat chested she is not flat bottomed you know it's Mm. an hourglass figure I guess Mm. yeah well and so you know there's people like her there's people like Miranda Kerr you know who's um, primarily known for being a Victoria's Secret model so you know these are a sort of I guess mm, well maybe it says a lot more about the sort of (laughs) patriarchy that these women are sort of still part of that male fantasy friendly figure type and they are the ones that earn the most money yeah but um i've forgotten where i was going with this anyway that's a thing (laughs) yeah no i i i I think that's quite interesting the way you say because i've always been not really been uncertain as to how fashion and and the, the, the seemingly very extreme fashions that appear in fashion shows actually are supposed to relate to reality well, okay, so couture is probably more what you're thinking of, and okay. that's a very sort of stylized uh, set of collections, and um, it's more that's more if you think about um, fine art. You know, it's people sort of mm-hmm. trying to express something a lot more personal and complicated and expensive, and you know, it's, it's okay. It's that a makes yeah, that makes much more sense now. It's just that I guess. In the way it it seeps into the mainstream, but that kind of difference isn't really highlighted. Well, so couture exists as a, its own sort of fashion week. Mm. Um, so in Paris, it's uh, twice a year, and you know, it's it's to do with that sort of showpiece attitude. Mm. There's a lot of stringent um, uh, requirements. You know, you have to have a certain number of people working in your atelier. It has to be based in Paris. You know, it's all this kind of thing, but. Outside of that, you've got regular fashion week um, and that the the sort of the most 
well known is the the four of uh, New York, London, Milan and Paris and each of them last around a week and they are uh, ready to wear collections which basically means that they are the uh, a lot more wearable uh, stuff though they, they are things that you could feasibly wear to an office or you know things like that you and you do see them coming up on the red carpet and they've been accessorized to look a lot more sort of high fashion and you know more impractical but there are a lot of pieces that you could actually see yourself wearing and then that sort of filters down quickly into um or, or aspects of it trends from it filter down into the high street um i've actually i i wrote a, a piece for the site just what the hell is fashion week that I can give you the link to sure. that will explain yeah. in more detail, I guess. But that is the the relationship. And I think a part of what this project was saying was um, that actually sort of nuance and subtlety are missing. Mm. And so, you know, people keep going back to the same uh, reference points. And, you know, fashion doesn't necessarily have answers, but it would broaden your set of reference points. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm always in favour of, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a big crowd that likes to say games are games and everything else should keep the hell out and I think that's a terrible terrible idea. I think you should draw in interesting external points of view from all over the place and some of these like it, the, the problem with those people is they think that it's going to remove something and it never will. It'll always add and like you know games that are just games will always still exist. Do not do not ever worry about. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that Danielle was saying um, that she felt that, um, yeah, she was saying that she felt that the uh, games industry could, because uh, I'd asked whether the games industry could benefit from more input from fashion, and she was saying that she actually thinks that the reverse is true, that um, fashion could benefit a lot from, from gaming, and that fashion is actually a type of, you know, game theory, and it's about uh, presentation and sort of like playing with how people then see you. Um, she sort of expresses it really well. I'll yeah, again, I'll put the link in the show yeah. notes. But yeah, it it was really interesting just sort of seeing it through somebody else's eyes. Essentially, it's it's a fresh perspective and not without problems. But at the same time, it sort of yeah opens up the discussion so, again a bit better. Should we talk a little yeah. bit about these designs because I find them quite interesting. I'm not sure. I didn't necessarily say they're all better than the originals or whatever, but I, they all bring interesting ideas to it. Um, mm -hmm. What are the, again, you were talking about how um, just because it's designed by, you know, for, uh, for women and in a fashion industry doesn't necessarily make it, um, uh, you know, any more, any worse or better or worse than the male gaze in a lot of ways. Like one of the, the interesting things about it is that they're, they're very obviously posed like models rather than like, um, you know, heroes of video games. Uh, I mean, the obvious one is Chun Li is holding a handbag rather than kicking someone in the face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she could still kick you in the face, and then she uh, could smack you with her handbag. Yeah. Well, interestingly yeah. to me, anyway, they don't look that much different from the poses that you see female characters in. Yeah. Um, mm. In games, like I mean, it is different, and it definitely has like a different tone to it, but. They're still attempting them because basically these guys are attempting to present their clothes rather than their bodies, and that's the difference. <laughs> is because yeah. for the male gaze they present their bodies, and for the female gaze they present the clothes they're wearing because the straight female gaze is not interested in their bodies but is interested in the clothes in this fantasy world. There, there, is, there are some really interesting designs here. As I said, um, 
if you're watching along with us. Uh, <laughs> <starting> <laughs> if left, you uh, have the uh, sheet up in front of you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really, I think, um, I really like um, the, what they've done with Chun Li actually, which is interesting. And um, yeah, she's wearing stuff from um, a Burberry Person uh, collection, and it's. I feel like we're on the red carpet. Thanks to you. <laughs> Are these actually not only inspired by but actual things? Yeah. Oh right, okay. I assumed that she like taken these characters and then also kind of made up clothes that they could wear. No, no. So what she did, she paired each of them with, um, so yeah, somebody in the public eye. So with Chun-Li, it was um, Anne Hathaway, actually, because she's really popular in um, sort of Asian beauty culture. Hmm. Um, And that's also kind of why they've, uh, why she's given Chun-Li a a far more westernized look than you would perhaps expect. Like a couple of people asked about that because they were a bit like, wow, that's offensive, you know, like, hmm. you can't draw an Asian woman, you know. It, it was kind of like, actually, it's more to do with problems or, you know, just the way that the um, the Chinese beauty industry and the fashion industry is set up and, and what their ideals are currently. So she's actually sort of got this... Uh, really british brand and you know sort of like somebody with a kind of you know an english rose complexion you know it's, it's that kind of that's the interesting thing actually because when we first looked at this cara you thought you got uh you thought chun lee was laura croft yeah i actually thought that um chun lee was supposed to represent lara croft because she got like the little shorts on and the shirt and then it just to me looked like an archaeologist's outfit i couldn't tell who any <laughs> archaeology of with cara ellison something about the shirt does feel very indiana jonesy to me for some reason i'm not sure yeah. no, it is quite indiana jones yeah um so yeah like that's a thing that i a mistake that i made but like <laughs> the, the lara croft one is ridiculous um but some hat though you've got it is some hat it is quite a good hat. I mean, you do often think when you're playing through Mater, hang on, she's showing a lot of skin, she's going to get extremely sunburnt in this jungle. Um, mm. So yeah, she could do with a hat. That's uh, quite hmm. On the other hand, she does do a lot of backflips, so it probably wouldn't stay on. Do you guys know that I have just stumbled across programmer Ryan Gosling Tumblr? Hey girl, <laughs> no need to set up a regression test. I already know things can only get better with you. See, if they made an updated version of Dream Phone featuring Ryan Gosling as one of the... How popular would it be? 100,000 sales. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. Like, which Ryan would you get? Hey, hey girl, I don't care what the SEO experts say. As long as we're on the same page, true love will find us. Oh, that's amazing. Just so I need great. to, yeah. We, we, um, we need to have a look at this. All right, um, shall we wrap it up here then, I guess? Unless, uh, is there anything more you wanted to say about this, Pip? Okay, um, well, no, but the, well, the only thing that I would add is that I, my personal favourite is the Zelda one. Mm. And it's because one of the things that she explains that she's done is she's actually taken uh, Alexander McQueen as the... Um, as the uh, the clothing that she wants to use for her, and uh, it it as she says in this thing, I'm just going to directly quote it because it's easier. But um, McQueen has often been characterised as using violence against women as an emotional and creative instigator. Um, his clothing plays on ideals of uh, ideas of female submission and corrupted power, which I think makes it suitable for a permanently kidnapped heroine. And I just I feel that that is 
it sort of says a lot about how fashion works and how sort of interesting the ideas behind that can be, as well as how you can then sort of actually apply it to situations in, in not necessarily in the real world, but it's there is a lot more going on than... There's also obviously a lot yeah. of thoughts gone into these. Um, mm. You know, it's not just like, oh, there's Zelda, <laughs> let's put her in a pretty dress that has, yeah, like, markings on it. I was going to say, yeah. it's probably telling that oh. Zelda is the one I could see most actually turning up in a game in that fashion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Zelda's the only one I recognised when I first saw it. But mostly because I guess she's the most passive woman of all of them, unless it doesn't really matter that she's wearing some something that's wholly impractical and designed for the catwalk. She's the only one of these lot who I've never seen punch somebody in the face. <laughs> oh my god. I, I love uh, I just love that Femshap just punches journalists she... in the face because sometimes oh. I would Can you imagine the Femshap that Danielle's drawn just like absolutely shoulder padding someone in the eyeball? <laughs> I know, she'd basically spike someone in that outfit. On, on, like, on the topic of her, I think like that one's my favorite and just because it looks awesome and all the others like look a bit cute like they they look like something that you might actually see somewhere but that one just looks like something you'd only ever see at a cosplay convention but um, can i just say with that outfit space. it does make it look like commander shepherd would have the ability to dance and yes. that just isn't canon <laughs> isn't i feel true. like she should be in a david bowie like video or something. <laughs> yes. I feel like she should just be David Bowie. She should just be <laughs> yeah, David Bowie. Uh, but yeah. Imagine if you could play a game as David Bowie. Why don't we have that game? I really fucked David up. Bowie there is a game with David Bowie in it, you know. Uh, is there? Yeah, Omicron, the Nomad Soul. David Cage oh, yeah. has oh, yeah. uh, David uh, Bowie as like, the leader of a group of, I think, underground <laughs> musicians in the fascist totalitarian future yeah. state. I heard it was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, you know, I've played it a little bit. It's, it's not very good. It's it's most of the ideas of his early of his early games, but also still kind of trying to be an action game on the Dreamcast oh. and an open world game on a console, but just cannot handle that. Yeah. Anyway, we should make a proper David Bowie game. Yeah. So hopefully, we haven't played it yet, but Saints Row 5 will include, you know, three male voices, three female voices, Nolan North and David Bowie. David Bowie oh, beating people to death with a giant pink dildo from Alan Summers. That is the thing that he would do. That is. That's that's it. That's the podcast done. Oh, actually, but before we go, there is one last thing I wanted to say. If you uh, enjoy our podcast and uh, you subscribe to us on iTunes or you uh, enjoy our podcast some other way and just happen to have an Apple account, if you could leave us like a review or a rating of any kind, that would be fantastic. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. See you.